Let's bow our heads in prayer as we ask God to open his message. Father, we thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for the commitment of these people and the talent that you've given us, Father, as we honor your name and we come together to worship you, Lord. I ask you now that as we seek your will, that you speak to our hearts in a message, Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not written by a man, but rather inspired by your will through the Holy Spirit for what you have for us today. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am going to begin today uh, a six-part series on the life of Abraham. And I've decided to do this because I like to go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament because I believe there's one Bible. All right? One Bible. Not two Bibles. We don't ignore the Old Testament. You know, recently I've heard some uh, evangelists say that the, you can kind of ignore the Old Testament. I don't believe that you can. Everything that God has given us, all of the theology that we have, is predicated first on the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that was then completed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Abraham becomes a key figure. He becomes the patriarch upon which God put the Jewish people together. Uh, and there's so many lessons for us today as Christians to learn as we study the life of Abraham. Uh, because really what you see is a guy that is not perfect. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible gives people, shows us people with warts just like us. People with imperfections just like us. People with failings, just like us. And yet God calls them to the highest degree of service, where Abraham will be within the direct lineage of Jesus Christ himself. And he will become the foundational pivot of the Jewish people. And so we, we honor him as a great patriarch. We thank God that he has given us this wisdom. But we need to study his life uh, because there's so much to learn. And so he is considered to be the father of the Jewish people. Uh, and in fewer than 10 generations, and this is important, 10 generations after God commanded Noah to be fruitful and multiply after God effectively wiped out the world with a flood, within 10 generations, mankind had rebelled again against God at the Tower of Babel, where the human race decided that they would be responsible for their own world order. Uh, and so God came down uh, and caused a division of languages so that man could not do that. And so shortly following that, within several generations, uh, Abraham comes on the scene. And so here's the thing for you to remember. Abraham was a pagan. Abraham worshipped the moon gods. Abraham was a guy who was fully involved in paganism uh, in a country called the Ur of the Chaldeans. And most scholars today accept the fact that that country, that location is in southern Iraq. And so they were centers there. They were centers for the worship of of the moon god, and the moon god was called Sin. How's the irony of that? 
and so we learn, we learn from other passages in the Bible that Abraham had assumed leadership of his clan. And so the amazing story begins with a call from Abraham to leave his ancestral people, leave his homeland, leave his family, leave his kindred, leave his father's house, and go to a land I will show you. If you open your Bibles, you can see this in Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And you can read along with me as I reference that passage. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And this is the call that God makes on every one of us. I want you to understand something. When God called you to become part of the kingdom of God, when God saved you, his expectation was that you would leave the past and walk into a new future. That you would leave an old country and walk into a new country. That you wouldn't walk with the things that burdened you before, but instead you would walk under the kingdom of God. And that's the essence of this story that God called Abraham for that very purpose. And so he calls us today in salvation. And so we need to understand that. Now, leaving the comfort of home, family, and familiar surroundings uh, can be amazingly challenging. You can imagine what that's like. Uh, to walk away from all that, especially so in nomadic cultures where they didn't have uh, settled institutions. Uh, and the Hebrew word used here in the original translation, translation was to determinately disassociate yourself from the current culture. Can you imagine? That was effectively what God had called him to do. And so this is what God calls us to do today as he brings us to faith, as he brings us to salvation, to walk away from the old, to walk in the shadow of Jesus Christ uh, and, and to be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. Hebrews 11 makes, uh, verse 8 makes it clear that Abraham, and if you have your scriptures, turn to that, Hebrews 11, verse 8, Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. He did not know where he was going, but he got the call from God. God touched his heart. Now, we don't know exactly how God spoke to him, we don't know exactly because he was a pagan, but somehow he knew that the God of the universe was speaking to him and called him. And so this pagan recognized that there was a greater call in his life, and so he abandons everything and leaves it all and walks into a new country, leaving his surroundings and, and, and really looking to serve God. And so he was leaving the old life behind and starting a new life. And this is what God calls on us to do. And that's why we study Abraham, because we see exactly how God expects us to live. God wanted Abraham to disavow any allegiance he had to the idols of his father and his forefathers and separate himself from idolatry. Separate himself from idolatry. And you see, that's the call on us today. 
to separate ourselves from idolatry as we walk with Christ. Because so many of us are still sold out to the old things of the world. You know, whether it's money or possessions or affluence or power or respect or family relations. So many of us can't walk with Jesus because we're still tied up with the idols of the past. And there's no question that these things can be idols. You can even have an idol in your family, that your family could be an idol. And you know why that is? That is, you may have a father or a mother or a son who says to you, you know, you spend too much time in church. You know, what is it with you? You're always going to church. Do you always have to spend your time like that? That's an idol. Or when your kids come down to visit you, as we want them to come, Instead of coming to church, you stay home. That's an idol. You understand? That's an idol. You think that you're giving the kind of example to your children about the nature of your faith when you show them that you stay home. In fact, I would say, look, I'm going to church. You want to come with me, I want you to be there with me. But if you don't, go and have pancakes. And when I come home, we'll talk about what I heard in church. And you see, that's really what God wants us to do. And so, as we understand this, separation from one's sinful life is known as repentance. How about that? Have we heard that word before? Repentance. You want to separate yourself from the life that you had, from the mistakes that you had. You can't do anything in the kingdom of God until you repent. Oh, my Lord, Jesus and I laugh when I hear people talk about the fact that, you know, we want to be able to be reconciled. We want to be able to be good Christians. We want to be lovely people. And it all starts on your knees before the throne of God, asking him to forgive you for the sins of your life. And we've all made those mistakes. None of us is perfect. None of us. But without bowing before God and saying, God, forgive me, Lord. Wash me, Lord, with your blood. Take, take these sins away from me. We cannot be successful Christians and walk within the kingdom of God. And so Jesus made that abundantly clear. He made that abundantly clear. And turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood... Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Can you imagine how despicable? Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now he's speaking to the disciples. Unless you repent, you will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable, and listen to this parable, because we don't hear this told much. A man had a fig tree, planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. 
So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And that's your heavenly father. That's the kind of mercy he has. That's exactly how much love he has. That even as he looks at you and recognizes you that you need to repent. And even as he saw Abraham, recognizing Abraham that he had a special call on him and called him out uh, of his home. He does the same thing for us today. And as he talks to us and speaks to our hearts through the word, he expects us to leave the past walk away from the past, to abandon the idols of our, of our prior lives, and to come in repentance before him, to ask to be washed, to ask to be saved. And that's the nature of this message, understanding the will of God for our lives. It's critical. And so what we learn here from Abraham, and what you're going to learn over the next six weeks, he wasn't a perfect guy. He would fail often. And so what we learn here is that repentance is not a one-time act. We need to understand this as Christians. Don't think that just because you're saved and just because you've asked God to forgive you that that one-time stamp of approval is like a passport and you're done. You're not done. You're not done. Because what we recognize as Christians is that repentance is an ongoing, everyday act. Every day of our lives, we recognize that we fall. Every day of our lives, we say things that we shouldn't or think things that we shouldn't. And God calls us to a greater service. He calls us to raise the banner of Christ. And we have a responsibility as we do that to leave the things of the past just the way Abraham did to say, Father, wash me. Father, forgive me. Help me, Father, to eliminate the sinful habits that I have or the attitudes that I have that drag me down or drag others down. Help me, Father, to pursue the kind of life you want me to live in every way, the kind of life that will bring honor to you in every way as he did with Abraham. And what we see about Abraham as he came out as a pagan, he saw who God was. And one of the things that you see is he constantly made altars. Even as he traveled, he put altars every part of his life. And you're going to see as we spend the next six weeks what an amazing man he was. That even though he couldn't see with his eyes, that he was walking in faith because he understood who God was. And that's how we are today. We walk even as we don't really know where our next step will be. Here you are in a church in which we don't know really for sure where we're going to be beyond December 31. But I have faith that God will provide a place. I walk in faith because I know that you are his people. This is his church. And so I walk even though I don't see and that's how we, God wants us to be. He wants us to walk in that same way. And so in leaving his homeland, Abraham demonstrated that he was looking for a better place. Turn again to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, verse 13, as you get insight into this very thing. Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died, and this includes Abraham. 
They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Have you ever felt like you're an alien on earth? I think many of us have felt that during this election cycle, right? We spoke about this last week. That you almost feel like, God, I'm so out of place. I'm so uncomfortable, God. What is your will for me? And yet you see that. There's no difference than these people felt the same way. They felt as if they were aliens. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And that's the nature of what God is doing for us. He's prepared a place for you. He's prepared a city for you uh, and a place. Even as you sit here and you long for a better place, recognizing that this world has so many warts and so many shortcomings. And so what happens is we begin to value the things of God more than the temporal things of this life. You understand? That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want you to sit there and really rather be consumed with possessions or vacations or property or respect or even family. He doesn't want you to do that. Instead, he wants you to focus on the godly things, about the greater things. How can I serve you, God? What do you have for me in ministry? Where do I walk, Lord? You have given me talents. You have given me prosperity. What do I do, God, with the things that you gave me? Do you talk like that? Do you pray like that? Do you ask God to direct your every step? Because that's how he wants us to live. That's exactly what Abraham had. And you know, even though Abraham was considered the most wealthy man in the modern world at that time, he was a guy who gave it all to God. He committed himself to God in every way. And so as I study his life, and I study the words of Jesus, I am absolutely, really bowled over by what I understand the commitment that God expects us to have. And if you want to take a look at how Jesus expects that commitment, the very commitment that Abraham had that he exhibited in leaving his homeland, turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. As Jesus speaks to the disciples, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. And, you know, the the disciples really would would speak to Jesus and, and really would want to know, well, what are we going to get out of this? What are we going to get out of this? We've walked away from our families. We've walked away from our jobs. We don't have a pension. We don't have any profit sharing. All right? We're just walking around following you, Jesus. We believe in you. But what is this going to do for us? And Jesus gives you the economy of heaven in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And he says there, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, 
and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? These are young men working with their father, helping their father. And yet when they got the call of God from Jesus Christ to follow him, they abandon everything. They walk away because they know they're serving the God of the universe. Really. I mean, think about the, the nature of this and what God wants us to, to do. And look now as you stay in that same area of Mark. Look at Mark chapter 10 with verse 30. And you see the economy of heaven being explained to these men. Peter said to him, verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. We've left everything. We have nothing left. And look what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Underline it. A hundred times. Is that enough repayment for you? In this world, not in the next, in this world, a hundred times. That's the economy of God. That's the economy of God. As God expects us to give it up and walk away and to follow him in every way. What a powerful presentment by Jesus as we begin to understand this. And so you see this exhibited in the life of Abraham as he walks away from his, his family and country and walks alone into an unknown land with just his wife and his nephew uh, into an unknown land, and he will begin to walk in obedience to God. And God will call on him. And he will be obedient to God. Obedient to God in such a way that at some point he will be asked to sacrifice his own son. And he was willing to do that. Why? Because he understood that if God had called him to do that, that after he had done that, that God would resurrect him from the dead. That's the kind of faith he had. That's the kind of faith that God is, is expecting from us in every way. And so Jesus spoke about this kind of faith. The walk of faith demands supreme love for Jesus. That's what this is about. This message is about you understanding the walk of faith of Abraham and why God took this pagan and made him the foundational stone for the Jewish people and put him in the lineage of Jesus. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Verse 37, again, seeing the economy of God, and these are the words of Jesus. Anyone, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what an incredible passage that is, as Jesus is expecting and telling you the economy of heaven. And look, don't take these words and say this means you're supposed to repudiate your mother and father. That's not what he's saying. 
He's demanding that you love your mother and father with a perfect love. With a perfect love. But when you love them with a perfect love, God comes first. Not second. You don't put God second. You don't put your family above God. And we have to understand that. He's saying that. That that's the kind of commitment that God expects from us in a very powerful way. That's what God expects. And that if, if you try to save your life and think you're going to make decisions in your life that will lift you up in this world, in fact, what you're doing is you're preparing a way to lose your life. Jesus expects you to pick up your cross and follow him and walk with him. This is the day two experience that many of you have heard me speak about. It's not enough just to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but it requires more than that. It requires a picking up of the cross, and it requires a dedication to him. It requires ongoing repentance. Don't tell me that you were saved in 1958, all right? You were saved in 1958, and that's the day you came to Jesus. And then if I ask you, well, what are you doing now? Well, I'm just kind of sitting down, waiting for God to call me. You're sitting down, waiting for God to call you since 1958? That's something's wrong here, folks. You understand that God has so many calls for you. And as we walk with him, he's speaking to us, and he expects us to advance in the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, we pray. Then it means we read the Bible. We do Bible study, and then we do ministry. And if you can't find a ministry in this church to do, then there's something wrong because we have ladies that have dedicated their lives to so many different ministries. We have to work for him. Everything we have is for him. Don't sit back and say, well, I'm waiting for him to speak to you. He's already spoken to you. He's speaking to you right now in this message. Really. This is how God speaks to us in this way. And so God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And we can turn to that just so we have an accurate reading of this. This is the call of, on Abraham of his life. This is what God is calling him for. And it's astonishing to think that God would be saying to a, a, a pagan, this is what I'm going to do. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. That's the kind of God you serve, that when you commit yourself to him, when you say, I will follow you, Father, I will give it all up. I will abandon the past. I will forget where I came from. I will abandon the idols of my past, and I will pick up your cross, and I will walk with you. This is the promise he makes for you. I will be with you. I will protect you. No evil shall come against you. Any evil that comes against you will come back on the evildoers in such a way. And so it's an amazing passage to recognize how great God is. And how much he's willing to bless us when in fact, when in fact we bow to him. When we bow to him and say, Father, we will serve you in every possible way. Now here's the thing that I want you to think about. Why would God determine? Why would God determine that he needed to call Abraham in order to establish a people? Why did God think he needed to establish Israel? 
Well, I believe that there's several reasons why God determined that he had to do that. The first of that was that God determined that he needed a witness of God's ways, that he needed a country that would show the Gentile world what God was like, who God was, why it pays to serve God and walk with God. The Jews were to be a light unto the Gentiles. That's what the call of the Jewish people was, to be an example to the Gentiles of what it means to be a godly people. This one nation will be a light for all other people to see practically what it means to believe in God and walk with God, so declared God. That was his purpose. And secondly, the second reason why God wanted Israel to be there was to be a keeper of God's word. He wanted a people who would keep the word of God. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way, first of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Do you understand what it means? We owe the Jewish people a debt of gratitude because they've honored the words of God. They kept the scriptures. That's important for you to understand that. Yes, they failed in recognizing who Jesus was. Yes, they failed. Yes, they didn't honor him. And yet we have to recognize that they carried the cross of Christ for a thousand years, the cross of God, rather, for a thousand years until Jesus came. And so they honored the Bible. They honored the word. They understood what the word was about. Furthermore, God needed a people who would be the keeper of God's word. While you're in Romans, look at Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What advantage then is? We've already cited that. Excuse me. And so the point of that is the Jews were fierce protectors uh, of the culture of God in, in many ways. In some ways, maybe even too much, as we saw what, what the apostle Paul did when he was persecuting the Christians. And then understanding the nature of what God was doing with the Jewish people as he was making them a light unto the Gentile world. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this becomes important as we understand exactly what the call, what the call of God was on the Jewish people and what their responsibility was. And I love these, this passage because it tells you exactly what, what he expected the Jewish people to be. Look at verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And the congregation said, amen. And so here's the point. That was the responsibility of the Jewish people. That's why God called Abraham. That's why he established the Jewish people. Because all of this, all of this would come out of the lineage of Abraham. And you remember what Jesus said to those Jewish leaders who persecuted him. And he said, uh, Abraham saw my day coming and he rejoiced. Of course he rejoiced. 
He left everything to follow God. He left everything to recognize that this was the call of God in his life. And this is what God expected from him. And so here's the point of understanding this. The hardest step of faith is often the very first one. That's the hardest one. To step out from where you are. To step away from where you've been. To step away from people that are holding you back. To step away from friends that are not carrying you and lifting you up uh, in God. Some of us need new friends. Some of us need new neighborhoods. Some of us need new people to inspire us and protect us and to pray for us. Instead, many of us continue to be dragged down by relationships of the past. God is warning you and telling you, listen, listen. Listen, this is what you need to do. Somebody asked me where I live now, down in the southern part of Naples, if we had any friends in that part of town. I'm proud to tell you, I have none. None. Nobody. Not one. Not one. And I'm so happy that God has delivered me. You understand? I'm so happy that God has delivered me. Because I don't need friends that are caught up in the culture or caught up in money, or caught up in narcissism. Instead, you are my family. You are my friends. You are the people who I love. This is what God has called us to be for. Yes, Jesus. This is what God has called us for, to be with people who understand what it means to serve God and to walk with God and to lift him up and to be in ministry in every possible way, to inspire and affirm and pray for. This is the call of God on you. And so God is saying to you today, make that first step. Walk. Separate yourself from the past. Separate yourself from the past. If you need to have new friends, get new friends. If you need to have a new place to be, have a new place to be. Um, God has called you. He has given you a church that loves you and wants to see you advance in every possible way. Oh, God. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for being our salvation, Lord. And help us to repent every single day. Don't ever let a day go by when you're not repenting to God and asking him to seek my heart and to wash my heart. Lord, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And I can tell you this for myself. I have determined that for me and my house, we will serve God in this church until he calls me home. Until he calls me home. All right? I know some of you say, well, gee whiz, you're 70 years old. How much longer can you do this? Well, take a good look at me. Because as far as I'm concerned, I plan on doing this into my 80s if he's with me and has given me breath. This is what he's called me to do. This is the call on my life, and this is what I'm going to do. And the same thing applies to you. He's called you. We've got a gifted minister of music with an amazing voice. And I know he believes that God has called him to be here and to lead him here and to use his talents for the work of God. And he's dedicating himself for that purpose. And we have, we have a wonderful woman who's playing the piano for us. I know she believes the same thing. In every way in this church that I can identify the people that are doing so many ministries, they're serving God. They're looking to serve God. Look, we don't serve ourselves. We're not into narcissism. I'm not interested in advancing myself. I'm not looking for a pension. 
I'm looking to serve God with every ounce of my strength. I want to be like Abraham. I want to walk like Abraham. And I want to be, be like Abraham. Amen, church. Amen. Let's close. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Father, how you've inspired us to live a kind of life like Abraham, walking in faith even when we don't understand it, God. And so we ask you to lift our people up, affirm them, give them vision of what we are inspired to do. Let them see the country on the other side, Father. Let them understand what the call of God is, that we walk in faith, not in sight. Bless our people, protect our people, and inspire them to make this day the first day of the rest of their life. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.